God, do our next message here on the Sermon on the Mount, and this section is on loving your enemies, uh, verse 43 through 48, verse 43 through 48 of Matthew 5. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us, uh, Lord, tonight as we approach this portion of your word and just get away for a little while from the world and from the pressures of it, from uh, everything that's going on out there, and help us just to sit at your feet tonight to learn from the words of Christ, your Son, our Savior, and teach us, Lord, to be a little bit more like our Heavenly Father. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to exemplify Christ uh, in the way we talk and what we do. Help us, Lord, to be like the example of, of yourself who is good unto all. And Father, I would just pray that you'd help us to respond right whenever we are done wrong. In Jesus' name, and amen. All right, again, I think it's important to note, as we have throughout these last many messages, uh, that Jesus, once again, in this sermon, uh, is correcting familiar teachings of that time. Jesus is not correcting uh, the Old Testament law by saying, you have heard that it was said. Again, I used to read this many years ago and think that Jesus is correcting the Old Testament. But that is not what he's doing. The law did not teach the Jewish people to hate their enemy. It's not found in the Old Testament for them to hate their enemy. Um, Leviticus 19.18 reads, You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. And that's in Leviticus 19, 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's something that really should sound a little bit familiar to us, shouldn't it? Because that is, of course, in the New Testament. In Matthew 22, 37 through 9, Jesus taught that loving our neighbor, he said this, is the second greatest commandment where? In the law. That's what Jesus said that the, loving your neighbor is the second greatest commandment, then he says those words, in the law. And so this isn't some new thing in the New Testament to love our neighbor. Now I say, well, doesn't the Bible, Jesus say something about a new commandment I give you? Yes, but if you go back and look at that, he says that you love one another, here's the newness of it, as I have loved you. And so the newness of that commandment is that they had the example of Christ 
as the example of love. But, but to love your neighbor was not a new commandment. It was in uh, the law. So listen, Jesus is not correcting the law, and we said that all through this uh, series on the Sermon on the Mount. He was correcting the misapplication of the law of that time. Now the problem in the time of Jesus was that the Pharisees and lawyers were teaching that they were to love only Jews. They were to love Jews. That Jews were the ones that were their neighbors. So then, if they were to love Jews, then in their mind, the opposite must be that they were to hate everyone else that was not a Jew, because if you were not a Jew, you were considered to be their enemy. And so, that they took the positive of God saying, love your neighbor, and said, well, if neighbors are my Jews, and therefore I am to hate everybody else. That is actually what they were teaching during that time. And so anyone that was not considered a Jew was considered their enemy, and they did not have to love them. You might remember a lawyer at one point came to Jesus and, and said this. He said, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says this to him. He says, what is written in the law? What is written in the law? Now, this, this man thought he had kept the law, and Jesus needs to address the fact he has not kept the law. And so, first of all, Jesus just says, what is written in the law? Because he needs to show him he has not kept the law because you can't know that you need eternal life until you know that you have disobeyed the law of God. And so Jesus says, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? He says, and the lawyer said, Well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now listen, that is in the law. And listen, we haven't done that either. Jesus said, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. And okay. Jesus was about to show him that he had not kept the, even those laws as he had thought he had, the Bible says that he, the lawyer, then it says this, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus what? Well, who is my neighbor? So the reason of asking the question was that he had not been loving his neighbor. Then Jesus gave the famous account known as the Good Samaritan. And if you understand that, it's about a man that was beaten, left half dead, was not helped by the priest or by the Levite who were Jews. He was helped by a Samaritan, which was a half-Jew. And Jesus was teaching that the Samaritan was loving his neighbor because loving our neighbors, helping those that God providentially brings into our path, not the guy that sets up house next to us that would include him but anybody out there that god brings into our path whether they are of the same nationality ethnicity color of skin or not now seeing how much the pharisees and religious leaders twisted and misused the scriptures it really should be a warning to us that we do not misuse the word of god and read into the word of god and just really go extreme on something that really isn't written in the scriptures but we think it must be true because the bible says this about that then this must be true about this because the pharisees did that often 
They assumed that they were to hate their enemies simply because Jesus said to love your neighbor. So their application of love your neighbor was hate your enemy. <laughs> and so the application of the Word of God is, is way off. So we've got to be careful about taking one-liners in the Word of God or one command in the Word of God and thinking something that it doesn't even say and say, well, this must mean that we need to do this over here. We've got to be very careful about making assumptions and misapplications that are not found in the text. Now, with what Jesus teaches here, we obviously are taught that we will have enemies. Jesus is teaching that we will have them. But he also describes the nature of our enemies. Those that are our enemies are those that would curse us, hate us, spitefully use us, and persecute us. If we said that that is who our enemies are, how many enemies do we really have on a personal level? Now, I know the world at large would hate all Christians. That The world that's underneath the reign of the God of this world is going to hate all Christians. I get that, and we're Christian. But on a personal level, how many people do we really have that curse us to our face, that tell us they hate us, that spitefully use us, and really persecute us? It might come and go, but we, don't, we do still do not, even in this country, do we face that kind of persecution on an individual level. I'm not saying that there's not an anti-God attack in this country, but on an individual, personal level, we don't have to experience it as much as what many of our brothers and sisters do in other countries. But that's the character of those who are our enemy. And so it's also a good reminder that don't make an enemy out of somebody who's not your enemy. <laughs> We can make enemies and presume enemies. They're not cursing us. They're not hating us. They're not spitefully using us. They're not persecuting us. Don't make somebody an enemy who's not your enemy. We've got to be careful about that. Now, but we need to know, though, that if we are followers of Jesus and lovers of the cross, lovers of Christ, then people who do not love Jesus, then they're not going to love us. And Jesus teaches us that. In John 15, he says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the, the world hates you. And so, yes, if we're connected to Christ, the world in general is not going to love us. And we need, we need to know that. And the world will hate us because it hates Christ. But if the world hates us, if people hate us, let us make sure it's because of our connection to Christ. It's because we identify with Jesus, because we're lovers of Jesus, we're followers of Jesus, not because we're being self-righteous jerks, you know, not because uh, we're being holier than thou in our attitudes. The world hated Jesus, but yet he was loving, kind, truth-telling, honest, holy, good, righteous, helpful, and healing. He was all of those things, yet the world hated him. So let us be like Christ. If the world hate us for being like Christ and identifying like Christ, then, then we need to understand that it hates him first. And really, if we really love those people, and we understand they hate us because we identify with Jesus, it should make us love them because we see that they don't know Christ. They don't have Christ. They don't they don't know Him. They don't have salvation. And so even though they hate us, it should cause us to, to pray for them and, 
because they need the Lord. Now, one of the things that Jesus is teaching us here, too, is how to overcome our enemy by loving him. To overcome our enemy, enemy by loving him. And so what does it look like to love our enemy? To love our enemy does not mean that, that boy, I'm just going to lay in my bed at night and just have all good, warm, fuzzy feelings about this guy that cursed me and made fun of me earlier today and, and maybe persecuted me or, or lied about me or tried to hurt me. I'm going to lay in bed. I just love him so much. He's such a good guy. That doesn't mean that. Love, we've got to get the, the idea of Hollywood love out of our mind. Love is action in this verse. Love is action. You can, love, you can show somebody love and not feel all warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> you choose to love. You make a choice to love even when your feelings aren't in it. You can do that. You can do that. To love our enemy does not mean we'll have those feelings. But to love our enemy means that we will do good to him even when he has done us bad. That's what Jesus says it means to love your enemies. When he does you bad, you do him good. Jesus said what? To bless those who curse you. So if someone has given you a good tongue lashing and they're desiring evil upon your life, you bless them. Now, not in a sarcastic way. Whenever a curse, you say, God bless you, you know, and walk away and just grin, you know. That's not what Jesus is talking about. But to bless them means you literally desire good to come upon them. And that's hard. That's a tough calling. To bless someone is to desire good upon them, even when they are desiring evil upon you. It's to desire him to prosper. Jesus said to do good to those who hate you. Now, folks, that's, just not, that's totally opposite of what our nature wants to do, which tells us it's the totally the right thing to do. <laughs> because our fleshly nature does not want to do good to those who hate us. Our fleshly nature wants to do bad to those who do bad to us. Our fleshly nature wants to hate those who hate us. We've got to put that off. And so that tells us right there that it's not the way to love. Um, do good to those who hate you. The love that we are to have toward those who hate us is a love that takes action. To love our enemy who hates us is to more than just not hating him back. Well, he hates me, but I'm not going to hate him. Jesus calls us to even more than that. If someone hates you, he says to do what? He didn't say don't hate them back. He says do good. Let me tell you what. You say, well, how in the world am I going to do that? Let me tell you. It would be the best thing not only... For them, the best thing for you. Because there's something that happens in our hearts whenever we are not having all those affections for people and feel the right way towards them, that whenever we purposely do good, do an action of good to someone who hates us. It doesn't mean you approve of their evil. I'm not talking about that, doing anything that approves of evil. But you can do good things for people that hate you without showing approval for any sort of their wickedness. We've got to find that line, don't we? When we seek to bless our enemy and to actively seek to do good, it will be hard for us to continue with any sort of hateful feelings. Now, often what we want to do is we want to feel good towards somebody first, and then whoever we feel good toward, then we'll go do something good for them. 
Jesus is calling us to do the opposite in this case. It doesn't mean we can't do good to those who we feel good toward, but he's just saying when it comes to your enemy, you can't wait till you feel good towards your enemy to do good to your enemy. You do good to your enemy and pray to God that he'll help you to feel better towards him. That's what we need to do. So choose to do good even when your heart has not yet changed toward them. That's tough. Jesus also said to pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Again, this is an action. This is doing something for them, actually praying for someone that hates you, spitefully uses you. Not pray upon them, P-R-E-Y, but to pray for them. Our response to those who would try to use us or hurt us is that we would pray for them. It is hard to stay angry and hate others when you are praying for them. Acting the right way toward our enemy is good for us. In the process of prayer, our heart can be changed. We may not be able to do good sometimes for people. Really, there might, literally might not be anything you can literally physically do. But I'm assuring, I assure you, you can pray for them. And pray for, pray for them until your heart is changed toward them. So acting the right way toward our enemy is good for us because it can change our hearts as we do good or as we pray for them. But you never know, they too may be changed by our love toward them. And again, if somebody's being a jerk to you, you don't say, well, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not what Jesus is teaching us to do in that spirit. But it can be used of God when we respond the right way to turn them Romans says the goodness of God continually leads us to repentance. And our being good to our enemy and loving him just may be what is used of the Lord to make our enemy to our friend. Wouldn't it be much better instead of getting even with someone or getting them back with what bad they've done to us that God actually changes them from an enemy to a friend? You may have heard it said that the best way to destroy your enemy is to turn him into a friend. That would be much more wonderful. We've seen that more today, wouldn't it? People just change. The Apostle Paul also taught this, of course, in Romans when he said, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not wish any evil to come upon uh, those who would persecute you. I've been amazed at testimonies I've read of our brothers and sisters in Christ who, who experienced real persecution for the name of Jesus and they, and they respond with things like, pray that, that God makes the life of my persecutors miserable. They, they don't, or they don't respond with things like that. They, they don't say things like that. They respond with things like, pray that, that, that I remain faithful. Or pray that God would save those that are causing us all this trouble. Or, or pray that I respond with love and kindness to those that hate me. They never pray you know, that God would kill them or pray that God would get vengeance on them. Uh, that they pray uh, that, that God would turn them or save them. Now Paul further indicated in that passage in Romans uh, to us to not have vengeance, but to let the Lord be the one to take vengeance. We're to reserve vengeance. In that passage, uh, Paul says to give place to wrath, and that place is God. God is the one that takes wrath, not us. We are taught there in that passage to overcome evil by doing good. We're not taught to repay evil for evil. 
Now, in this, we're not saying we can't not defend ourselves physically if people are physically harming us. This is not an, a pacifist approach, okay? Someone's trying to physically assault you, your family, you should defend them, okay? That's not what we're talking about. We cannot fight against our enemy, though, with the same artillery that he is using against us. The weapons of our spiritual warfare, they are not carnal and fleshly. We're to respond with the words of Christ. We must learn to respond with more love, more blessing, more prayers, and more doing of good if we are to overcome our enemy. Now this is where love is really tested. As Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Telling us that when we love others that don't love us, that there's a reward for acting such. But he says, do not even the tax collectors do the same? I mean, the, the people that you despise, don't they like each other too? How we treat our enemies and those that hate us is where real love is tested and where real character is refined and revealed. And sometimes, honestly, if, and once I, I can get really mad at somebody over something, I'm like, oh, and sometimes if I have time to just calm down and process things, you know what I'm usually mad about the most about people that have hurt me is what it reveals about myself. Is <laughs> what it reveals about myself. And that, that I, my heart was got so messed up or my, the things I said because of what they said or, or things I did because of what they did. I, I'm, if I have time to calm down, I'm more upset with my reaction more times than I am with what they did to me that caused me to react the way I did. But then later I can be confess that, repent of that, and say, Lord, help me. Help me to respond the right way. None of us want to be treated bad by others. None of us want others to desire evil upon us, to curse us, to use us, to persecute us in any way. But it can be a refining pot for us as Christians, to help remove the dross of our hearts, to reveal things about ourselves that, 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 that were laying there deep where persecution brought it out and caused us to deal with it. It can show us that our hearts need to be more in tune with the heart of our Heavenly Father. You see, the disciples were... Ever, everybody looked at that time toward the Pharisees, the lawyers, and the Sadducees, these these religious leaders, to, to how they were to act, how they were to behave. Jesus comes on the scene and says, hey, you've been hearing these guys teach this, but I'm teaching you different. They thought they were righteous. The Pharisees thought they were righteous. The lawyers thought they were righteous. Jesus says they, Jesus is showing they acted like they were obeying the law, but they were not. Showing that they weren't as righteous as everybody thought they were righteous. And so he's basically, in essence, in the end of chapter 5, when he says, therefore you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is imperfect. And the last example he gave there in verse 45, that you be sons of your Father in heaven. He's saying, quit following the religious leaders and what you've been taught through all these years, through all these Pharisees and everything, and listen to me, listen to your Father in heaven. He's our example. Look to Him. Listen, men will disappoint us every time. Women will disappoint us, even the holiest of the bunch. 
in this part of the sermon, it seems that Jesus is finishing up correcting some of the things that have been said and taught. Next, he's going to deal a lot with some of the examples that have been wrong in chapter 6. But he has rightfully taught the right applications of the law. In doing this, he has shown that the Pharisees were not as righteous as they seemed to be or proclaimed to be. Their appearance of righteousness was based upon the externals of the law and did not apply the law internally, and they misused and misapplied the law. And so, again, he is saying, don't look to them, look to your Heavenly Father. We will always find chinks in the armor of our fellow man. We will find inconsistencies, misapplications, false forms of righteousness being established by sometimes even well-intentioned Christians. We must learn to focus on our Heavenly Father and not men for our example of right living. Others are not perfect, but our Heavenly Father is. He's the perfect example of righteousness. Now, we do not seek to do these things to be righteous judicially in the sight of God or to be accepted of God in salvation, but they are the examples of righteousness and how we are to live right in this life as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, use this message tonight to help us, to instruct us, to encourage us, Heavenly Father, to be more like you. Lord, you are good. You make it rain on the just and the unjust. You cause the, the crops to grow of, of evil farmers and good farmers. Uh, Lord, you, you bring good, Lord, to people uh, all over the world who are not good people. And Father, just it's an example to us that you are a merciful God, you are a long-suffering God, and you are a patient God who shows love in so many different forms to all people. Father, help us to show that same kind of love to those that, uh, Lord, would uh, curse us, those that would misuse us, those, Lord, that uh, would make fun of us, uh, persecute us in any form because we're followers of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, uh, to do the same. And I pray in Jesus' name. And amen.